out of design thinking but don't know where to start? Then you're in the right space. Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to Design Thinking, an A to Z, a year-long series of bite-sized real-life examples, do's and don'ts, tried and tested go-to techniques to help get you started. I'm Tracy, a former design engineering director turned mentor and coach that uses design thinking principles to help others design a life with purpose. And I'm Lucy, a workshop facilitator and business trainer who uses design thinking to help organisations make better business decisions whilst finding different ways of working that support their innovation, sustainability and growth. We are two Northern lasses with a passion for design thinking for your business, your projects and for your life. So let's get creative without messing up your jumper with crayons. Today we have a very special guest and today E is for Mr Ed Watson. Ed is a design thinking and lean startup facilitator and coach with extensive experience in creating workshops. With a diverse career starting at IBM and Dell EMC, Ed worked at management consulting firm Accenture for over 17 years. I connected with Ed this year due to our mutual design, uh, mutual love of design thinking, and I very quickly got Lucy involved in attending Ed's regular design thinking meetup, which connects design thinkers all over the world to discuss principles, tools, and processes. We are very happy to have Ed join us today to discuss his journey as a design thinker, share his favorite go-to tools, and his best moments. Hello, Ed. Thank you very much, and I'm delighted to be here. Tracy, Lucy, very kind of you to invite me. It's our pleasure. Um, We'd really love to kick off if you could give us a little background to yourself and what got you into design thinking. Okay. Um, Well, I'm an Irishman who's lived most of my adult life in the UK. Uh, So in exile, I suppose, out of Ireland. Um, But I am a bit of an excuse for an Irishman because I don't drink that much. So (laughs) that's the back. I'm a husband of more than 40 years. I've got two adult daughters. Um, And while I grew up in Ireland near the sea for the last 37 years-ish, I've lived about as far from in the same house and about as far as you can get from the sea here uh, in this country, on this island. Uh, So I live in what's called the heart of England in Warwickshire. And I am a very keen proponent of design thinking, I think, Lucy's sort of explained my background, lean startup and design thinking, and we'll probably come back to that a bit more during this conversation. But um, yeah, just a very keen proponent. I think they're really good ways to do a whole variety of things in this world. But I'm also a bit of an activist uh, with a focus on different ways of doing sort of organizing democracy democratically and different ways of dialogue, different ways of talking to each other in communities. And uh, so I pursue that a little bit as well. So, the so that's, thinking... that's a little bit about me. And, and you also asked me um, a little bit about my how I came to design thinking. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was thinking about this um, the other day and I guess workshops um, I was aware of as a tool long before I even experienced them and used them myself. And then I probably started using them myself in the early 2000s, maybe 2003-ish, something around that time. And I've always um, had a bee in my bonnet about uh, people calling meetings workshops. I've never allowed people to do that in my presence because <laughs> to me, they're like polar opposites. They're very, very different animals, beasts, whatever. So, um, so I started using them. And then after a number of years, um, the roles I had just didn't very didn't offer much opportunity to use them so i didn't use them for a long time and then 
Um, at one point, probably around 2015, 16, maybe 17, I don't know exactly. Um, I had a design thinking course on my kind of training backlog of something I wanted to do, a course I wanted to do. Um, but I hadn't quite got around to trying to book it or anything when at very short notice, a colleague of mine had to drop out from the course and send an email around saying, could anyone take his place? So I jumped on that. I was available and that was fantastic. And I had a great three day course. And then shortly after that, I went on another three day course on design thinking facilitation. Um, so to become a facilitator and I came back and I told my then managers that even though I don't play a musical instrument, I felt it was like playing an instrument. You have to do it regularly to be any good at it. And I wanted to do it regularly. And um, would they support me in doing that? And they said, yes. So between us, we evolved a role where I used lean startup design thinking uh, techniques, both within, that was when I was in Accenture. So both within Accenture internally and with clients and, um, and because I wasn't part of a design studio and Accenture had lots of units which were design studios, I specialized in a different type of workshop and the type of workshop, rather than doing full, say, weeks or months long design sprints, I tended to focus more on short, sharp business challenges. Hmm. And my workshops ranged from anything from two hours, sometimes even shorter, one hour to two, three days. Um, where I'd get a team usually of, again, between, say, 8, 10 to 20 people together, usually not more than that, um, and get them to focus on a business challenge and come up with some ways forward. So quite a, a different uh, use of the tools and techniques. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I came to it anyway. And so it's I a little thought, bit kind of intentional, and a little bit of good luck and a fine day that got you then onto that call and started those <laughs> yeah. conversations. Yeah. I'm just curious then, when you're doing your workshops and dependent on, I mean, obviously now they're not with Accenture anymore. So you're not dealing with people who work for the same organization. What kind of, you know, what are your favorite go-to tools? What, 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 what do you, which part of the process do you, you know, sets the fire in your belly? <laughs> so it's interesting, isn't it? Um, the, you know, I probably have about 20 tools that I rock and roll with and I, you know, use in different circumstances. And I'm not sure that I have a favorite. Um, I like all of them. I really like um, probably seeing people prototype with craft type tools. I like to see them. And that's maybe because I also like to engage with things with my hands and my brain together at the same time. And I think that's, that's good, but I, I usually see good results out of that. Um, I like to see people, you know, use journey mapping. Mm. Um, that's, that's one of the ones I like, um, learning how to both present ideas and critique them successfully. I've got some techniques for that, which, um, I think are both fun and productive because I think in general, um, people are not good at giving and receiving feedback. And of course, you know, if we're going to build those prototypes, it's all about giving and getting feedback and, and making that actionable. Um, so those are some of the, and then, and then I like to try, it's very difficult in short workshops and with the type of people that we encounter in, let's say, typically in this country and Western culture, 
people jump to solutions far too quickly. Mm. They don't really spend time in the early stages of, of what we think of in, in design thinking. It depends on the methodology used, but that empathizing stage, really spending time understanding the people and the challenges that they're facing. I think we, we rush through that much too quickly. And I guess one of the techniques I try and use is interviewing. I get people to interview as many people as possible and uh, yeah, and then analyze the, the data that they get from those interviews. Hmm. I'm, I'm quite um, interested and curious about something. So uh, I know that you worked for Accenture, we've mentioned it before, and I guess that in my mind, um, I was, I've been making lots of assumptions about the kind of work that Accenture does. So uh, without going into like any kind of project or kind of client confidentiality issues, I was quite curious the fact that you were saying prototyping. So mm -hmm. what kind of, what kind of industries or kind of companies were you working for when you were doing your facilitation with Accenture? Yeah, I didn't, I mean, a lot of people in Accenture will, will specialize in one industry sector like banking or insurance or you know um, fmcgs any something like that I, I worked across them all and actually as a facilitator i like it when i know very little about a subject when mm. i can ask the dumb ignorant questions now obviously you need a certain level of language if you're going to facilitate people if they're going to you know if you go into a a group of doctors, you know, and they start using lots of medical terminology, you, you really need to have a little bit of the basics so you know roughly what they're talking about. Or, you know, if you're, uh, you've got a bunch of network specialists and they're talking about network things, you know, you need to have a certain level of language. But beyond that, I like not to, you know, to know as little as possible. Um, yeah, I worked across all sorts, including charities. I mean, I did one piece of work with Parkinson's UK where we, we actually had a Parkinson's, we did a proper design sprint in, a, in about a week there. And we brought in a Parkinson's sufferer to help us with that. And we interviewed them in a, in a group setting and they, they stayed with us for more than a day and they helped us out. Um, yeah, I mean, almost anything. Um, and yeah, almost any industry uh, you can think of I've worked with. See, I love the fact that industry. there are charities out there that are getting involved in design thinking and are using it as they need to now. And I'm curious then, is there um, a sector or an industry that you've not worked with that you kind of see things happening with and you think, come on, you just need to get me in for a workshop? Um, well, I, I'm the, okay, I'm going to put my activist hat on and answer that because I think that as communities, we've lost, a lot of us have lost the skill of talking to other people. We kind of watch our devices or use our devices and we type stuff or we watch television an awful lot. Uh, you know, people aren't going out to communal places where they talk to other people as much. And um, yeah, and some of these design thinking techniques where, you know, we use active listening and we, uh, you know, we create that safe space for everyone to share their thoughts, um, I think is missing from a lot of communities. And um and that's something I'd like to bring back. In terms of an, a, from a, an actual sector, it's, it's difficult to think. I think generally far too few sectors, I mean, far too few, even if you look at it, take the sector out of that, sorry, Lucy, and just think about companies, organizations in general, 
far too few of them have any idea what a facilitator does, let alone a design thinking facilitator. I mean, virtually any organization could do with meeting facilitators rather than having one of the like the most senior person chair a meeting. And they're the most ineffective use of human time that you can almost think of. So, you know, just the, the role of facilitator or doesn't exist in very many organizations at all. Probably point no, 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 you know, something, one of a percent of organizations have something, someone called a facilitator of any description. And I think we could do with more facilitation of a whole variety of types. As I say, even basic meeting facilitation to enable people to, to be more productive in that time, I mean, hmm. would, be, would be a step forward. But in terms of design thinking, I can, it's hard to imagine any organization who couldn't benefit from the application of a few simple design thinking techniques. I mean, just just imagine if there was someone there who was prepared to do a bit of um, think pair share, one of the most basic techniques. When, a, when anyone asks a question in any session, be it a workshop or just a meeting, when people ask a question or raise an issue, if you just stop for 60 seconds and said, everyone write down what they think to that question issue, and then just quickly go around the table and hear what everyone said, even if there's five people in a room, you've probably got three or four ideas now, rather than the one idea from the most confident person who speaks, and then everyone goes, oh yeah, okay, fair enough, and that's mm. it. Yeah, that's interesting. So what are your must-haves as a design design thinking facilitator, and you're going in to do a workshop, what are the, the must-haves in your meeting that's gonna add the value to the workshop? That's tough, they, they vary so much. I like to have, a diverse group of people there. So that's that's a number one with a stakeholder to try and have a diverse uh, team. Um, and another one, and, and really diverse. I mean, especially if I work with very senior people, I try to convince them to bring in either people from outside an organization or people who've just joined an organization and try and get them to realize that um, those people have got knowledge, valuable knowledge to bring in. But another one, I guess, that comes to mind is, um, something I was asked the other day is, you know, could someone come and observe a workshop? Well, everything that goes on in a workshop, every person is there and everything you do or that is done has an impact on the quality of that workshop. And I have a rule which says no one is there as an observer. That'll, that'll change the dynamics. Everyone has to have a role. And you might be able to create a role for someone who is more in an observer type role, but if you can't, I just, I wouldn't have an observer there. Uh, that's a negative answer to your question. Um, and then the one that I never get enough of is time. Mm. Actually, mostly you need more time than anyone is willing to give you. So managing time is tough. It's probably one of the toughest things, managing it in an effective way. Hmm. <laughs> and a plan. Oh, and a plan. I suppose I, I, I don't like going into workshops without a good plan. Um, I've been known in COVID times to have three plans, an A, B, and a C, uh, where C was when, if I get COVID, what happens? <laughs> um, uh, but equally, I have a principle. So I work from principles. I have a whole set of design thinking principles. And when I design or run a workshop, I have these principles. And one of them is, you know, to have a plan, preferably a plan A and plan B, depending. And then, but also to hold that plan very lightly. So I 
I'm not surprised if it doesn't survive contact with the enemy and I have to change it during that session. And that's fine. Uh, that's what I mean by holding it lightly. See, I'm hearing a lot when you're talking about design thinking and you're talking about not just the organisations you've worked with, but the way you do it. I'm hearing a lot about diversity and inclusion, which I guess, you know, links directly to, you know, your activist sort of side as well. But it's kind of a natural, like an organic part of the design thinking process that I think many organisations haven't quite grasped yet. Yeah, and, and I'm on a learning path. I mean, I, I was very lucky during COVID, I supported uh, some people who had never, I, ha I had facilitated and run sessions online before, working in big corporates, multinational, I'd run them online. So when COVID hit, it, you know, moving to Zoom was no issue for me. Although I had no work at the time, but that either way, but because I, I hadn't really started on my own, but I had a group of uh, facilitator friends, not not necessarily design thinking, and they all thought the world had stopped. So I supported them in being able to use Zoom and, and realizing that they could do things, even if they were slightly different. Um, and one of those was uh, an inclusion and diversity teacher and uh, actually one or two people, but one in particular I supported, and, and I learned a lot from that as well. So, but but yeah, it's a learning journey. Um, I think, you know, I've thought for, probably for most of my life that I live in a very inequitable world. Um, and as time goes by, you know, we, be, we become more and more aware of more ways in which it's been, it has been and is still inequitable. And I do try my best. Um, but yeah, I'm on a I'm on a learning path. I still have more to learn on that score. Definitely, I think we probably all do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone out there that if they say they know it all, then uh, yeah, they're they're lying to you, aren't they? So you've 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 learned plenty. You're still on this journey. You've had some great experiences so far. Is there any sort of moment that pops into your head as being your proudest moment so far? Your favourite moment so far? Yeah, that's interesting. That's a that's a kind of a superlative question, isn't it? My favourite. <laughs> um, so I I don't think I really think that way in terms of superlatives. I, every experience, I try and look at every experience as a learning experience, and I try to continually learn. As I get older, it gets more difficult, but it is something I still try to do. So. You know, and sometimes you learn most from things that at the time you feel have really been unsuccessful or not succeeded at all well. Hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, yeah, when I look back, probably I was 15 to 20 years into my career when I look back for some reason, and I realized that from my very first job, when I'd been in my first job about only three or four months, I already had started to develop a training plan for the next person coming in. <laughs> and, I tried to, and I tried to codify what I'd been taught and what I hadn't been taught and should have been taught and created checklists and codified it. And since then, I've always been keen on knowledge transfer, training and mentoring other people. Um, and I've always done that. And I guess one of the, I don't know, you said proudest, I think uh, one of the things that I've got the most satisfaction out of is being able to hand things over to other people who maybe initially weren't confident or competent but over a period of time, they have become that way and have felt comfortable taking over. So I always, you know, my early career, I always learned something new. I automated it as much as possible, changed it a bit, 
trained and mentored, other, mentored others, handed something over and then moved on to something new, um, which, which kept me interested and motivated. But it's that, yeah, I think a lot of satisfaction from, from doing that. And when I see people who initially say, oh, I'd like to facilitate, but I haven't got the confidence to stand up in front of people or I wouldn't know how to make it. And then, and then I coach them through that or over a period of time, I am part of that journey. And then I see them having that confidence. I get a lot of pleasure out of that. It feels like a really good sort of point at which we should mention your meetups, because I think that <laughs> you're sort of wanting to train, want to impart knowledge, wanting to sort of mentor even unofficially people who attend those meetups. Yeah. I know certainly Tracy got me involved in the meetups and I don't think either of us have looked back or missed one since. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the med, you know, what was that the reason you started them? Yeah, What's their I mean, story? Yeah, I mean, I thanks. It's really kind of you to say those things, Lucy. Well, both of you have been lovely coming and contributing to the to the monthly meetups. Um, so they run on a, the first, usually, usually on the first Tuesday of the month uh, around UK lunchtime. And we get people from literally all over the world turning up. And um, I started them because I just feel passionate that these techniques are better ways than most people know of, of doing things, all kinds of things in life. It doesn't have to be work of groups of people coming together, collaborating and getting better results than they would if they were on their own. They're not rocket science. You know, you don't need to invest millions of pounds in, in tools or anything. They're relatively easy once you learn them. And, and I just wish more people knew about them and could use them. So I just thought, you know, one, and I've got some experience and I thought it'd be nice to get a group of people together who wanted to talk about these things. And so I started the meetup and then gradually, um, I, you know, I've, I've, come to know some really good colleagues and even people I would call friends from that. And, they, you know, people come as and when they can. Obviously, you know, we've all got busy lives and sometimes people can, like maybe, yeah, I think you have been to all of them since you started coming. But, you know, if you don't come to one or two because you've got other things, that's fine, but you can still come back. And there is, there is a reasonable number of people who do keep coming back. And, um, and we try and usually we try and um, practice even though it's very short a little practice of a method or a tool um we haven't done prototyping we've talked about prototyping we haven't done crafty prototyping online because it's a bit trickier but um <laughs> I think we could but we do various things and then we chat and what's amazed me really is the variety of backgrounds that people come from like even work-wise you know we've got people you know, designing foods using design thinking techniques. We've got community artists using some of the techniques and we get a very rich, diverse group there generally. And we have just, we just have fun talking to each other, maybe practicing something. And yeah, I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm privileged that, that, you know, you and others turn up once a month and, and it's good fun. Um, yeah, and the details are either on my website or on uh, Eventbrite. We're probably easiest to get them from my website, which I'm sure Tracy and Lucy will share with you in some way. We will. Yes. We will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in your opinion, then, Ed, like, where do you where do you hope that this design thinking goes in the future? Um, 
be nice if every school kid knew about it and then mm. they would just know. And, and I know people who work with school kids and use design thinking techniques. I know uh, someone some years ago went into a school um, and got them to design some living space on the moon, you know, some young kids and they, they had various bits of equipment, they built various uh, things. Um, so they designed and built them, prototyped them. Uh, but wouldn't it be nice if, you know, children could use these techniques because they do lots of joint projects in schools and they could get, you know, some better results, I think. And then by the time people were adults, you know, they would know that these techniques were available. And if they didn't, you know, some people will be will be naturally drawn to facilitating and some won't. But if you know that you can use these techniques, you can always reach out and get a facilitator. If it's a bigger group, a small group, you know, almost anyone should be able to sort of co-facilitate. And if everyone knows the tip that, that about it anyway, there's not much facilitation to do. It's only if you get bigger groups that you need a facilitator. So yeah, that's that's the way I like it to go. I just like it in a way to disappear then, Tracy. If, if that happened, it wouldn't be a thing anymore. It'd yeah. just be the way people did things and they wouldn't talk about it. I, th I think for me, like, um, I mean, what, what Lucy and I are really trying to promote is just like the, the purpose of design thinking when it comes to solving problems. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be design problems, but it can be for life also. And I think that for me, I think there's, there's for, from, from my perspective, like coming in, like from the coaching angle is that it's, it's something that can be used to, to help you when you're feeling stuck, like help you to, as you mentioned before, like people are trying to solve problems too quickly and they're not really properly thinking about, well, what's actually the problem I need to solve. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that this is, I think this is something that's a bit lacking in education, basically. So, so it's really nice that you mentioned yeah. children. So I, I think you're right. I think it's, um, I think, you know, design thinking, it's definitely becoming a bit more kind of commonplace. And it, what's interesting is like, we talked about diversity before, um, and obviously there's like a massive link with diversity and, and design thinking, but I think that, I think that that could be leveraged even more. I think that, um, you know, I'm obviously spectating from the, like the design and engineering side and, um, design and, and diversity is, is something that we're really, really pursuing and people and companies are really starting to care about it. But, um, I don't think there's enough of a connection between pushing the like the kind of the ideals behind design thinking and linking it with diversity i think there needs to be like a boost basically to kind of really almost like turbocharge um like people are saying like oh we need more diverse companies because it's the right thing to do and we need more think we need more diverse opinions but there needs to be like another level which for me should be design thinking that's interesting. So first of all, what interested me and, and still interests me is how you use the techniques in a one-to-one -one situation mm. where to me, I always think about the diverse group and that's, that's really, yeah, again, one of the great things about the, the meetup, the design thinking meetup in that I meet people who are using the techniques in, in different ways than even, you know, that I had imagined. Um, and that's one of them, but you're absolutely right. You know, that empathizing Mm. And understanding can be self-directed as much as it can be, you know, with a, an external person or group of people. And yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right, because often there is that first stage of, yes, we need to have, I don't know, just take a very basic 
diversity you know we need to have more women in the group fine so you get women in but then but then how can they contribute that other perspective if you don't enable them to do that then just having them there is well it's a step in the right direction but it's insufficient and you're right that if we you know if we in general were using more of the design thinking techniques i think it would give the other groups be they women or other groups the the opportunity and the way of bringing their perspectives to bear on an organization or in an organization or on a challenge or whatever it happens to be you're quite yeah. right yeah. no i think i think that's a really great point and i think that if anything you know coming coming from like a, a woman with an engineering background like and being surrounded by men i think that there's I think that if we we really push the the kind of concept of design thinking more, it kind of gives a platform for women to speak more courageously, as well. Because I think that you know I've, I've been I've been in many situations where I was the only woman at the table, and I had a completely different opinion to everybody else. But mm -hmm. it was like it was seen to be threatening, whereas yeah. like if you if you almost like kind of label it with the design thinking, then it comes from a level of neutrality which is sort of like, this is like, this is another like opportunity rather than it being like something that's a conflict because we, we've been in these situations where we have, you know, in the design world, um, it's predominantly white male, basically like mm -hmm. in design and in, in industrial design and product design, it's, it's like about 90% male. Mm -hmm. And, and so as a, as a result, you get like, you don't really get a lot of diversity in the in the the opportunities or the kind of concept. So I really think there could be more opportunities there. Yeah, but I think I mean I agree entirely with you. But I, I'm thinking, as you say that, that in order to make that effective and to take away that threat, or at least to to diminish it, if not take it away completely, if you had a good facilitator there mm -hmm. in the room or in the session, that would should help. Um, just using the techniques without a facilitator may not make as big a difference. But I think if you had someone, an external, well, external, uh, outside the group, an additional facilitator there, whether they belong to the organization or they come in externally, I think that would help. The other thing that went through my mind, as you said, that was that, you know, having one of anything, be it a woman or others, in, yeah. a, in, a, in a group isn't sufficient because yeah. they're always that ones you need you need more than that if possible um yeah it's it's yeah we live in a tough world and and your comment you know we we also have other cultural issues western cultural issues i think beyond um, I'm, i've got more of my activist hat on again i suppose <laughs> as much as anything else um and that is, I think, our Western culture is, and yeah, is maybe it's more male. I don't know, but we're very arrogant, and we always think that you know we can find a technological solution to whatever it is, and we don't recognise that actually our technological solutions have got us into this mess. <laughs> we need to stop and, and recognise that before we just plough on with the next technological uh, answer. And I don't know if that's. Yeah, I put it down as Western culture, but maybe it's Western male culture as well. Could be. Uh, yeah. Do have a tendency, don't we, to want to jump straight into the solutions without thinking about anything else? Yeah. I hate always having to be the one in these podcasts that is keeping one eye on the time. No, it's fine. And I feel as though there's a whole other podcast we can pull out of this for no, no. diversity and, and design thinking. Yep. But really quickly, and I apologise that if I get the terminology or the way that I put this question to you a little bit 
incorrect but you identify as a modern elder and I was yes. so intrigued at this and I would love to know just what you mean by that term and kind of how it fits you know to, to bring the sort of the activism and the, the design thinking all together yeah so so let me try and be reasonably quick so first my my one answer is I've no idea what it means right <laughs> um, but I was I was struggling to to come up with a way of describing this new role that I had with the lean startup, the design thinking, and I wanted to make a point that I was doing something different. So I put it on my email signature, even before I really understood it, I was just starting to develop something. And then, you know, occasionally someone would pluck up the courage and ask me what it meant that I put this on my signature. But by talking to people and trying to explain it, I came to understand it better. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say I understand it better now than I did when I started to use it. And I think for me, it's partly being a whole number of things. I'm, I'm a bit of a troublemaker sometimes. Um, I can ruffle feathers. Uh, I coach, probably coach a bit more than mentor, but I do a bit of mentoring. And then sometimes I'm the, the gray hair or the adult in the room. Um, you know, um, but I am someone who constantly challenges the norm. I will always say, why does it have to be done like that? Uh, always. And, and then I use the lean bit and I say, um, can it be done faster? Can it be done cheaper? I tend to come with those, with those questions. And yeah, and I, and I try to go back to the, the lean startup, whether you're in a startup organization or not, or a situation, doesn't really matter. Build, measure, learn, and go around that as quickly as you can and learn all the time, as I say, a learning exercise. And that's, that's a lot of the, the build, measure, learn is a lot of that for me is around quick prototypes and learning, testing them out and learning from that. But yeah, maybe maybe it's troublemaker. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so this was Ed Watson, troublemaker. <laughs> Ed Watson, troublemaker. I absolutely love it. I had a, I had an older, I had a call, sorry to interrupt. I had a colleague and he was in the innovation team and he put as his um, signature chief disruptor. Yeah, yeah. That's another way of saying it. Yeah, exactly. So there's elements of all of that. Yeah, it, I think it ties everything sort of together that we now know more about you, Ed, which has been fantastic that you've spent this sort of half hour with us. Um, but it's kind of tied our understanding of you and the kind of things that you're involved in um, much better. So we do appreciate that. And listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Ed's meetups, then you can search Design Thinking Meetup on Eventbrite. You can visit um, Ed's website, which is edwatson.life. And we do have some information about future um, podcast episodes coming up that will cover prototyping and journey mapping, which are two of the um, exercises that Ed mentioned. And we'll, of course, add um, the details about all of Ed's information, the meetups and everything, also to the YouTube channel comments um, below this episode. And I'm sure that Ed won't mind me saying either, but you can look any of the three of us up. Myself, Lucy Patterson, my podcast um, partnering Design Thinking Crime, <laughs> Tracy Sharp, and of course, um, the inimitable Ed Watson up on LinkedIn. <laughs> and uh, don't, of course, don't forget to tune in next time uh, using your favourite podcast platform. We'll be up to F in our A to Z of Design Thinking, and we're going to be chatting about the best use of the five W and H questions. So please tune in next time. Thank you very much. And thank you very much, Ed. Thank you very much, Tracy and Lucy. Pleasure. Thank you, thank you very much.